This is Limitless Possibility. I'm Luc Olivier Dumebre. And I'm Yannick Maria. And what's our topic for this week, Yannick? DJ hardware and software ecosystems. Oh, nice. Yep. But before we start, I think you have a shit ton of follow-up again. Yeah, so I'm going to try to do it quickly. Uh, first of all, on episode <laughs> Famous 17... Famous last words. Yeah, on episode 17, we talked about Beats 1, and a friend of the show, Drake, uh, has a show <laughs> on oh Beats 1. And there was a super interesting article on The Verge about his show, and uh, other friend of the show, Zane Lowe, was quoted on the show as oh. saying that it's not uncommon for Drake to hand in the show like 20 minutes to an hour late before they air it, uh, because he's working on the show until the very, very last minute. And it goes into detail about how artists like Drake are using Beats 1 more like they used to use SoundCloud, where they use it to debut experimental projects. And uh, Drake, for his last two albums, actually played the entire album live on air uh, as soon as they made it available on the iTunes store um, and has broken streaming records both times. So a uh, very interesting article if you're interested in hearing more about how Beats 1 has been going recently because a lot of us aren't listening anymore, but Drake's show is apparently a gigantic success, so good for them. Um, on episode 24, we talked about Twitch and YouTube gaming, and a lot has been happening at Twitch recently. Uh, so I realized when I was preparing this that we never actually talked about Twitch Prime, which is something you get if you're an Amazon Prime subscriber, and I talked to you about this in person the other day, uh, where... Basically, everyone on Twitch is kind of crazy and promoting Amazon Prime like crazy once a month because you can now give a free subscription to your favorite streamer without actually paying any money if you're an Amazon uh, Prime subscriber. And you also get exclusive DLC for various PC games. So there's that. But then a month ago, they launched the Twitch desktop app for PC and Mac. And it's basically just a reskin of an app they acquired called Curse, which was a chat and VoIP client that competes with Discord, which is very popular in gaming corners. Um, but this week, they launched the Twitch Game Store in the app, which competes with Steam. And what's very interesting about the Twitch Game Store is if you watch someone stream of a game and you buy the game from that channel, streamers get a 5% cut. Uh, and when you look at big, big streamers that have maybe 30,000 people watching their streams, it can be pretty interesting at that kind of volume. So if you actually do buy a game via the Twitch game store uh, that is over $5, you get a loot box that contains badges and emotes that you can use within the Twitch app and bits, which are the sort of currency that exists on Twitch, which you can use to actually donate to your favorite streamers. So even more money for streamers uh, through that. So that came out this week. I just wanted to mention it in passing. On episode 26, we uh, commemorated a year of our podcast, and on that episode, we sort of talked about our workflows for producing the episode, and over time, uh, we've sort of refined it so that now we can do pretty much most of the editing of the podcast on iOS. Uh, but this week, I was taking a look around the App Store, and I discovered that we may actually be able to fully produce the podcast on iOS now, uh, thanks to a little app called Denoise. So one of the big things that, miss that was missing in our workflow was noise reduction. Uh, you can use Ferrite on iOS to edit your podcast, and that has a noise gate, but it doesn't have noise reduction. So the overall effect is much messier uh, to my ear, and I think to Luke Olivier's ear as well. And we, al we always preferred uh, noise reduction to uh, noise gating. So now there is an application that does it on iOS, and it looks very promising, so I'm going to try it for this episode. Hopefully it turns out pretty good. Episode 33, 
we talked about the Xbox, and funnily enough, today, Digital Foundry, friends of the show, got an exclusive feature revealing the specs for the Xbox Scorpio project, which is the upcoming mid-generation revision for the Xbox One. Uh, the performance gap between the Xbox One and the Scorpio is so significant that games that used to run at 900p on original Xbox One hard drive, uh, hardware can now run at native 4K, which is kind of nuts. Whoa. Yes. Indeed. Uh, the Eurogamer and Digital Foundry people were blown away by the level of performance because even just looking at the spec sheet, you do not expect that kind of performance out of that hardware. Uh, but they were talking about how they profiled every single Xbox One game. I guess it actually worked in their favor that there are not that many Xbox One games for once. <laughs> and they added 60 uh, game-specific optimizations directly to the GPU pipeline in hardware. Um, they also have a hardware implementation of DirectX 12, so something that used to be 1,000 CPU calls is now reduced to 11, which is nuts. Uh, so they have a lot of really, really interesting things. And right before we came on air, I was reading an article that was arguing that this is actually going to shoot Microsoft in the foot. Because, yes, it's true. They have made the most impressive hardware of this mid-generation refresh cycle. However, games are still being made for multiple platforms, and you still have to support Xbox One and PS4. So are people really going to take advantage of everything that the Xbox Scorpio hardware can do? And that is sort of the question in the air. Will people actually bother to optimize as much as they can for Xbox Scorpio? Who knows? Uh, it's a little early to tell. I'm going to put two videos in the show notes. Uh, one to the video that talks about the specs, which is a lot less interesting unless you are a someone who is very familiar with graphics cards and all that stuff. But there's another one that is much more practical as to what are the real impacts of this increased hardware on uh, games? And right now, as far as I can tell, uh, the only game that is actively being developed on the hardware is, uh, well, they were working on it with Forza Motorsport 6. Um, so th there have been a lot of optimizations there. They said it took them two days to actually get it running on the new hardware with, basically, they just recompiled on the new SDK and added 4K assets and magically it looks super great and it runs 60 frames per second on 4K. So uh, that's kind of amazing. Um, hopefully we will talk more about it in future episodes as more information comes out because we only got like the spec sheet. Um, but yeah, interesting stuff. Yeah, when is this, uh, when is the Project Scorpio expected? I think it's... it's Holiday season. Huh, okay. So it's still a while away. Yep. So it would mean that the PS4 Pro would be out for at least a year at that point. Yep. Wow, okay. That that makes a bit difference then. And hmm. we can't forget that um, they're also saying that Scorpio is going to be a big deal for VR on Xbox, but they haven't really talked about that at all. So it's going to be interesting. Maybe VR is the way that people are going to take advantage of that extra hardware instead of uh, just updating their games uh, like they did on PS4 Pro. Next up, episode 36, we talked about Redux, a cool JavaScript library that lets you express applications as a one-directional flow of data. And when you couple that with Facebook's React framework, you can allow for functional reactive websites. And on that episode, we mentioned that there didn't really seem to be any examples of big uses of Redux at scale. Well, at 3 a.m. last night, Twitter unveiled... Twitter Lite, which is a redesign of mobile.twitter.com for developing countries that uses React and Redux. And just because Twitter made it, it is probably the largest scale usage of Redux I can think of off the top of my head. <laughs> wow, okay. So I really wanted to go check this out, but as far as I can tell, it's only available in developing countries. 
Uh, so I haven't been able to play around with it, but uh, it sounds like they really just rewrote the entire mobile apps for uh, Twitter exactly like feature by feature for iOS and Android in the browser. And it does offline mode. It does push notifications. It basically takes advantage of all the cool web technologies that have been developed over the years to basically give as close to an app experience in as little of a bundle as possible. I think it's like they say the file size and it's ridiculous how small it is. Um, So, yeah, cool stuff happening on the web. Uh, Maybe we will have more to talk about the web in the future. Who knows? Wink, wink. Uh, Either web or Twitter because Twitter made another other announcement uh, earlier today. I don't remember this. The API ones. Oh, yeah. We might talk about that another time, but we don't have time. We have too much follow-up. Oh, no, no, no. Episode 48. Uh, we discussed the wide range of Apple video editing-related software, and today Apple released Clips for iOS, which is iMovie for the Snapchat age. Uh, have you had time to play with this? Not yet, sadly. I think I'll, uh, I'll, I'll have to wait for the weekend. So when you hear this, you I might have played with it. Okay, well, I haven't really played with it either. I just sort of messed around the menus, but I didn't make anything. Uh, but I did just want to acknowledge that it exists. We are aware it exists, and we will give our thoughts on it in a future episode. Episode 49, we discussed the announcement of the iPhone 7 and Apple Watch Series 2, which in Japan featured Felica support for mobile payments. And friend of the show, Chuck Schneider, uh, sent in a link to a tweet from a doctor on the Apple Health team which shows a super cool integration with Apple Maps. So if you ask for transit directions in Apple Maps and your Suica balance is too low to complete the trip, it will warn you in the upper left-hand corner, which is super smart. Um, they can't even do that on Android find- phones, really, because Google Maps is completely separate from the payment architecture, that, which is owned by the carriers in Japan, so they can't talk to each other. So really nice integration for people in Japan. Unfortunately, we don't have that here. Um, Moving on to episode 52, which is about the Nintendo Switch trailer analysis we did. Um, a Japanese firm called Formalhout Techno Solutions estimates that based on teardown analysis, a single Nintendo Switch console costs $257 to manufacture, and the current price is $300. So that falls about what we were saying in that episode. Uh, funnily enough, the breakdown says that $167 of it is the Switch unit itself, and then each Joy-Con is $45, and right now, individual Joy-Cons are $50. Uh, so they are not making that much profit on them, really, uh, but yeah, I guess they're making some, so that's good. Yeah, but that's crazy to me. Wow. I wasn't expecting it to be that kind of close to the retail price. Yep. Um, on episode 53, we discussed the reception to the new MacBook Pros, and I mentioned in a tangent that USB-C was a disaster, and uh, it turns out it's an even bigger disaster than I had originally envisioned, because there are 11 different protocols that can be expressed over the USB-C connector. Only 11? Wow. uh, Well, I had originally thought it was like 5. Turns out it's 11, (laughs) um, and there are 13 different kinds of cable. Uh, so compatibility is an even stupider headache than I had imagined, and it's only going to get worse over time. So good news, USB-C fans. Um, but yeah, I'm going to put a Japanese infographic. That's where I got my information because right now with the switch, the new Wacom Cintiqs coming out and the new MacBook Pros, uh, Japan is basically going crazy for USB-C right now. And they are realizing that their cables don't work everywhere and they are very mad and it seems like every day the infographic is being updated with new kinds of USB cables that we didn't know exist. Uh, but right now, the current count is 11 and 13. 
And uh, yeah, it seems like a disaster. And there's like little side notes on the side of each type of cable that says, well, this one is technically cross compatible with like USB 3.1 generation one. But if you're lucky, the manufacturer might have made it compatible with generation two. And you're like, what the fuck is going on? Uh, but yeah, so USB-C, tons of fun. Uh, love USB-C. All you people who are shitting on lightning, well, get a life. Uh, episode 57 was about automation. And Sal Sogoyan, which was one of the, the people we discussed, uh, who is the former chief of the automation technologies team at Apple, was a guest on Mac Power Users episode 370. Now, he doesn't actually cover anything we didn't cover, really. Uh, he just offers opinions on stuff and it's sort of interesting to know the opinions because then you can make up your mind on whether or not the team was right about certain things or not uh so we will let that interpretation be up to you uh but go listen to mpu 370 if you're interested in that finally episode 60 wow only like 13 minutes of follow-up that's not bad uh in zelda breath of the wild there is a side quest in ridgeland tower that challenges you to paraglide as far as possible and People on the internet have gone kind of crazy with this challenge. So, um, I'm not surprised though. I'm seriously not surprised. Okay. Uh, so you can apparently, and maybe this record has been beaten by the time you hear this. Uh, (laughs) the record right now is 22 minutes of flight to fly 7.6 kilometers across the map, which is kind of nuts. And the way they do it is kind of ridiculous. Uh, so. It turns out that uh, if you're using your paraglider and there's fire under you, you rise. So basically they shoot fire arrows every so often to actually keep rising up and up and up to not cancel the stuff. And of course you have stamina that you have to do. So they also have like infinity billion stamina potions that they have to drink in the air while they're shooting those arrows. Uh, But yeah, so they have managed to prolong it for 22 minutes. I would like to warn people that if they go check this video, it may contain spoilers. Uh, because it depends what you call a spoiler. Basically, he's just flying over the entire map, so if there are areas you have not explored yet and you don't want to see them, don't watch the video, of course. Uh, but I found it to be super interesting. Uh, I think you have some Zelda follow-up as well. I do, and it's related to the performance of the game we discussed uh, mm. in the previous episode. And it, Nintendo released a, pa- a patch number 1.1.1 that is supposedly reducing the frame rate dips that has been seen on the Wii U and on the Switch. Uh, so um, I'll include the show uh, in the show notes a link from uh, ING that is kind of summarizing what it is. But the main part of that patch is adjustment has been made to make for a more pleasant game experience according to Nintendo's notes. So hopefully, if you're having any performance issue with the game just go down on the latest patch and hopefully for you it should fix a damn cool so i think we've established pretty well in the past on this podcast that we are big gadget nerds and we tend to gravitate towards hobbies that allow us to buy a bunch of weird gadgets and gear uh, i think you're talking about the wrong guys here not us just go listen to episode 46 about our photography setups and (laughs) you will get an idea or even just the episode that because you did a couple episodes ago about the gopros and stuff uh we're big nerds as a big nerd i find that djing is a cool hobby because it combines my appreciation for music with my love for expensive gear while negating my ability uh, my inability to make music worth the damn myself um and in 2017 i really want to take this hobby more seriously because when I was in Japan this year, I realized that I had fans for the first time. 
Uh, what? Really? Yeah. yeah not... You didn't tell me that. Yeah. Well, I didn't say groupies. I said fans. Uh, St- still. Yeah. Wow. I'm impressed now. It's hmm. not friends that like to see me DJ. It's literally people I have never heard of before tweeting that they Whoa. want to see me play. That's really weird. Ooh. Oh my goodness. I think next time we see each other, I'll have to whatever, like stand in front of you and be like, oh my God, Yannick, you're so nice. Oh my God. I'm so excited to see you for the first time. <sighs> okay. I'm sure, you a bit. Yeah, I know. I, I, I'm not like that. I'm not like a super good DJ. I'm just someone who apparently does it well enough for people to actually like it, which I take as a compliment. Um, but next time they see me play, I want to live up to their expectations. So I want to get better at it. And as part of that, I've been looking at hardware and, uh, well, it's a mess. Uh, so this episode is going to be a high level overview of what being a DJ is about, what software and hardware exists in the scene and what the relations between the hardware and the software do to make it a complete fucking mess. Uh, so fun, fun, fun. Uh, but I guess... Oh my goodness. It, it seems a, a good mix of topics we always discuss on this podcast. Mm. But with a different twist on it, which is great. Yeah, it's a remix. Uh, but yeah. So uh, I'm going to start out by just laying down the basics of what being a DJ is about. Because there's like people don't necessarily agree on what the defined meaning of being a DJ is because there are so many different styles of it. And at its simplest, being a DJ is about choosing the song that comes next and trying to make the transition between the songs as natural or as seamless as possible. You can be a DJ with super primitive tools. Uh, In theory, you could make the case that all you need are two audio sources and not even a mixer. Uh, Because if you're just really good at pressing play and pause on stuff, you can like make (laughs) it work. Uh, But that's not really the standard equipment. Uh, the standard. Hope, uh, hopefully for you, it's not a cassette deck because you you hear the like the click every the time clack, you clack. Play. <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> every time you pause and start. Hopefully not cassettes. Uh, we're not really in that era anymore. Um, but the standard kit nowadays is two to four audio sources and a mixer with EQs. That's pretty much basics that people expect uh, as DJs. Um, traditionally, those audio sources were turntables. Uh, but over time, things were made to replace them, like CDJs, which are made by Pioneer, and they try to emulate the feeling of uh, vinyl with CDs and now USB sticks. And that the invention of CDJs sort of unlocked a whole new possibility of what you could do with music when DJing, because you're manipulating digital audio instead of physical vinyl records, and that sort of saves you from a bunch of the limitations that vinyl had. Um, But as laptops started becoming more and more powerful, it sort of became feasible to take all of the smarts into software on computers and then rely on external sound cards or MIDI controllers to do the work for you. So that basically you would be interfacing with a MIDI controller and an external sound card, but really you're controlling what's happening on the computer. It's just that nobody wants to use a keyboard and mouse to DJ. And I mean, there are people who do it, but in theory, you don't really want to do that because it's not necessarily the most pleasing environment to work in. Um, there was also another cool thing that came out called DVS. Uh, DVS is digital vinyl system. And basically, you have this vinyl with this super annoying sound on it. It's a timecode signal, and your computer interprets what manipulations you are doing physically to the vinyl uh, based on the distortion of that signal and recreates it on a digital audio file. And then you plug your sound card into the mixer instead of the turntables and then that sort of simulates scratching mp3s on vinyl and it's sort of really what 
gave a big boost to the digital DJ revolution uh, in the early 2000s. Now, so much originality has come out of things that can only be done via computer DJ software that really, it's not really worth using. Well, I'm not going to say it's not really worth using DVS because DVS is really useful if you're a scratchy DJ because it's the most authentic thing because it's based directly on vinyl, right? Uh, but there are so many other kinds of DJing that are enabled by software now that you can use controllers that are specially tuned to types of DJing you do. And because of that, controllers and laptop has become sort of a more commonplace uh, setup. And that's usually referred to as PC DJ um, out there. And I just want to talk about the wide range of hardware and software uh, that are out there. So let's start with software. Just to be clear, most of the software has a very big overlapping feature set. And that's kind of normal because the basics of DJing are going to require basically the same things. You're going to need cues. You're going to need play, pause. You're going to need to be able to change the BPM of your music. Like the basics are there across the board. Um, the large differences mostly come down to the philosophy behind the software and what features are prioritized, how the UI is displayed. And if you look at screenshots of all of these apps, uh, it's going to be immediately obvious that there are big differences between them. So let's start with Tractor. Uh, Tractor uh, on the desktop is called Tractor Pro, actually. Um, there's also Tractor Scratch, which I think is their DVS plugin. Uh, it's more popular for electronic music and live remix artists. Uh, its effects are richer than the comp competition. It has so many settings that you can be paralyzed by them. Uh, it's sort of a mess if you don't know what you're doing to actually go find the correct settings for things in Tractor. Um, so yeah, it, it's sort of not newbie friendly in that way. The UI feels super bulky to me. There's too much information on screen at once. And a lot of the information feels like it's redundant with the hardware. And we will get back to that in a bit. Um, the information that's there is sort of... It, like, there's too much information on screen at once. But even then, the information that's there feels like it uses too much real estate. Which is sort of like the information density is low, but it's still packed with a bunch of useless information. It's really strange to describe. Um, now, luckily, because of all of the settings that Tractor has, you can customize some, but not all of this. And again, it's not necessarily easy because there are so many settings to find where you do that. Another thing that is just super nitpicky, but everything in the UI is in bold text, which means it's super hard to actually find the information you actually should be emphasizing because everything is bold, which Ooh. is kind of dumb. Really? Everything in bold? Yes. Huh. Yeah. It's really strange. Um, one of the cool things that Tractor does uh, is it supports a file format called Stems, which lets you play... Basically, artists can export their songs in Stems, and then you can basically play each individual instrument as its own track. So if you don't want to play necessarily all of the instruments in the track, or there's a vocal and you want to turn that song into an instrumental on the fly, you can just disable that layer of the song in effect and just play the other instruments uh, so that is really cool and tractor basically supports that natively uh, which the other apps do not there's also this content uh, concept of remix decks uh, remix decks are basically like a giant way of having super many cues and samples to remix songs on the fly so this is where it gets sort of popular with artists that use maybe more traditionally Ableton Live or that kind of software to 
remix songs on the fly on stage. Uh, it, it sort of has that performance feature. And I think Tractor is super popular in environments where that performance aspect uh, of remixing songs on the, on the fly is really what you're selling to people when you're DJing. There is an iOS counterpart to Tractor. It's called Tractor DJ, and it's sort of completely separate from Tractor Pro, so you have to really consider them two separate silos, but it's Tractor reimagined for mobile devices, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Uh, I think there's a lot of cool things in there. Uh, There are smart features that make finding songs on a mobile device less fiddly. Um, There's a thing uh, called harmonic matching, which is basically there are keys of songs that complement each other, and if you mix songs that have those complementary keys, the transition will be much nicer to the ear than if you take non-complementary keys. And Tractor knows that, so it analyzes your keys, and it presents songs that are within 5 BPM of each other and on key, so you can just immediately when you tap the deck, it shows you songs that would go well with the song you're currently playing. So that is super, super genius. And I love that because even when I'm not DJing in the app, sometimes I'll just switch to Tractor to see what are the recommendations it gives me? Because I don't necessarily, like when I'm in Apple Music, it doesn't present key information there. So I can just switch to the app and see it right there. Um, Because they redid the entire app for mobile, none of my complaints about Tractor's UI being a complete mess uh, apply here. And I really wish that they would hire the UI people who did Tractor DJ to do Tractor Pro on the desktop, because then maybe I would want to use it more. Uh, So that's really cool. there's a really strong-handed approach in Tractor DJ to make everything quantized in sync. So quantized is we're syncing to the beats. Uh, so if you press something off time, we're going to adjust uh, the timing so that it was on time. Uh, if you press a button a little too late or a little too early, everything is going to be on time at, like it should to the ear, which is nice, except sometimes you don't want that. And the other thing is forced sync is not necess- necessarily bad because... Uh, you can intentionally want to mix two songs of varying BPM, and if you put it in Tractor DJ, by default, it will sync them together. So a song that's 80 BPM and a song that's 100 BPM, they're all going to converge on the same BPM, and they might not sound quite right. Um, unfortunately, like this app is great, but it's not for every context. But it doesn't even matter because the developers sort of don't really seem to care about it anymore. Uh, they only give it basic compatibility bug fixes. There's no update to use the iPad Pro screen real estate at all. It's still an enlarged iPad app. Uh, and most professional DJs I know have basically given up on this app. They say it's getting like maintenance mode, minimum effort updates, and it might not even be around in two years. Uh, so a lot of people have just pretended it's dead. And I think that's unfortunate because it's a really good app. It's just that you don't really see much updates for it these days. So the conclusion I want to come to with Tractor in general, the Tractor ecosystem, is Tractor can be used by anyone, but it has a lot of high-end features that require a lot of technical and musical skill to be of any use to you. So keep that in mind. And are those features kind of hard to understand at first if you want to kind of... uh be in introductory levels as a DJ? It's features you don't need as an an introductory DJ. It's really stuff that you need if you're a highly skilled DJ and want to raise your game even higher, then those features are available for you, but you really don't need them as a basic DJ. Oh, okay. What you should be using as a basic DJ, according to me anyway, is Serato. So Serato is more popular with hip-hop and lower-tempo dance music. Uh, By lower-tempo, I mean like maybe... 
up to 140 BPM. Uh, it's very conservative in its feature set because of the company's history in vinyl. So Serato, just to give a basic history of the company, they had this uh, plugin for audio editing software called Pitch and Time. And basically what Pitch and Time did is it allowed you to stretch out songs or uh, shorten songs without distorting the pitch, which is something that is very important, very important in modern DJ software. Uh, so basically, since their company was built on that, they were incredibly well positioned to get into the DJ software business. And that's what they did. And they made Serato DVS, which is uh, basically like the number one DVS software in the world. So anyway, yeah, that that mentality transferred into their DJing app because they wanted everything that was possible in their app to be also translatable to vinyl, at least early on. Um, and this can be super advantageous if you're new to DJing because you can focus on learning the basics. And then those basics are pretty much portable to any environment you use, whether it's software, whether it's hardware like CDJs, or even going to turntables to some extent. Uh, there are a lot of things that are particular to vinyl that you won't learn in a software environment of any kind, but it it really does the basics the best of all the apps, I think. Um, one of the very unfortunate things, and you have heard me complain about this in the past, is they are super slow to release compatibility updates for new OS versions. I think I had to wait nine months to update to uh, Yosemite because Serato just didn't update Yosemite. And sometimes I wonder, like, do these people not sign up to the developer newsletter on Apple.com? I mean, like, do they not know the new OS is coming or something? Uh, but And correct me if I'm wrong, but is that the, the one that you are using that even when it was updated to the latest OS, you still ran into a shit ton of issues? Uh, well, most of the issues that people are having with Serata recently is related to changes in iTunes due to Apple Music. Um, but since I'm not oh, an Apple yeah, Music yeah. user... I, not really impacted by that um one of the things to highlight is that uh there is no retina support still in 2017 what is even more absurd is that the serato website has been retina for years now <laughs> but the serato oh, app really? is non-retina and even text in the app is non-retina it's not just like ui graphics it's the text that's not rendering retina and that like me makes my eyes bleed every time i'm searching for a song in the app because it's infuriating yeah, you might be surprised that uh, is there a Windows version of that app? I will yes. guess so. Maybe the, the maybe the reason why is there's some core UI stuff that is shared between both and yeah. the kind of the cross compiling tool that they use is not compatible for that yet. I've seen that. It's sort of a a big trend in the audio editing world to basically try to make your UI as le less least native as possible. Uh, which pisses me off because I'm sort of a UI purist and the next app we'll talk about sort of <laughs> adheres to the interface rules of the operating system, which is nice. Uh, but it, it's really infuriating because none of these UIs, except for DJ by algorithm, which again, we will talk about in a sec, uh, are native at all. And it's really crazy. Like most of the time you feel like you're using a Flash app, which is not something you want to feel ever. Yeah. Yeah, no, <laughs> exactly, ever. Um, so relative to Tractor, there is much better information density, and the UI, even though it's not Retina, is much better organized than Tractor. Um, and I think, like, Serato, and this will, again, be reflected when we're going to talk more about the hardware, they're really more about sensible defaults over customization options. And I think that's great, especially for newcomers, because you don't necessarily know what the options mean or why you should care about them. But this, they have way less settings, and they're really, here's what the experience should be like, do this. Um, 
it has the lowest quality effects by default of the three apps. And I think the reason for this is that one of their ways to monetize the app, aside from the basic license, is you can buy additional effects for the app in in-app purchases. And uh, if the effects are too good out of the box, you won't buy them. So I guess that's the rationale. Um, they also have an iOS counterpart, but this is a little different. It's called Serato Remote, and it only basically lets you use your iPad as an extra controller for Serato, which is not quite what I want. I would really like to have an iOS native version of Serato to take with me. Uh, but, I mean, it works, except, like, it's a $20 app, and I don't really need an extra control surface uh, that especially doesn't have physical controls. So it's like, eh, I don't really want to buy it. Uh, but it's out there. So. Serato is really the go-to app for DJs who want to mix tracks together reliably and don't need or want any fancy party tricks. Like, it's there for the DJ who wants to get the job done. And it's very reliable at that. Um, So that's really good. Next up, DJ. So DJ, of course, is written by Algorithm, which is a longtime Mac developer. So unlike, well, all of the other software, basically, Uh, you can assume that they're going to be very quick at adopting new APIs and releasing timely compatibility compatibility patches on the Mac. Uh, For example, they were on stage to to demo the Touch Bar MacBook Pro, uh, and they had basically, you could DJ entirely from the Touch Bar. I would not recommend it, but you can do it. Um, and they are that also- was a nice demo, though. It, it looked nice as a demo. I cannot understand why people would do that, but it looked nice as a, as a, as I mean, a demo. I mean, if your controller dies suddenly, like it's better than doing everything with keyboard and mouse, I guess. Uh, but it, you're not going to do this for anything other than fun, I guess, <laughs> as a challenge. Yeah, and I would say like DJ may, may be the only app uh, our listener might know about uh, DJing because it is like you said since it's kind of an uh, old Mac developer that now has now migrated to iOS 2 uh, it has been uh, kind of uh, Apple kind of likes them and they are able to promote them like you said the touch bar they were part of the MacBook uh, Pro touch bar event I think they participated at a couple of iPad and or iOS keynotes yep and they've also won multiple Apple design awards yeah, yeah, so I'm sure, like, if you're an iOS or Mac nerd and you just follow what are the latest apps and what are the ADAs every year, you might have heard of that compared to the other apps you'll mention. Yep, and it's a really, really good app that sort of came out of nowhere. Uh, people mostly paid attention to it because it was out on the iPad. The Mac version has been around for longer, but people didn't really pay attention to it. Uh, but there's a lot of really cool stuff that you can do now that it's basically cross-platform. Um, so yeah, it's available on Mac, iOS, and Android uh, with an asterisk. Uh, Mac and iOS have DJ Pro, which is the newest version. Uh, Android and Apple Watch technically have DJ2, which is the old version. And I'll talk about that a little in a bit. Uh, it reminds me a lot of Serato because it feels like it gets the basics really well done. Like You're not going to be using this for high-end performance stuff like remix x interactor because that functionality just isn't there yet maybe it'll come in the future but i think because they don't have any vinyl baggage they can just bring in as much innovative features as they want uh which is really great um one of the cool things you can do with uh dj is spotify premium uh if you have a spotify premium account you can load any song in the catalog to mix 
Uh, you won't be able to record your mix in that case, though, because of licensing reasons, but you will be able to play them, which is nice. Um, the BPM syncing algorithm is probably the best in the industry. I think they don't get enough credit for this. Uh, Serato didn't even have, like, um, like before it had simple sync, where basically you press the sync button and it copied the BPM number from the other one. Uh, but now there's more advanced sync, where uh, if you double tap the sync button, it will literally start playing both songs from the same point and basically sync them together, uh, which is really nice. And like for years, other software didn't have this, but DJ sort of did it first, and then Serato scrambled to put it in their app, and it's been really funny to see them sort of catch up. The sync is really, really good in this. Uh, there is a problem if you're a weirdo like me, uh, which is DJ does not allow songs above 200 BPM. Uh, if you are like me and you have a soft spot for 220 BPM, you're fucked. Uh, so you're not going to be able to get like clean beat grids at anything over 200. You can continue to do the math mentally in your head. Uh, but what you see visually on screen does not reflect reality. And you have to sort of deal with that uh, if you do anything above 200 BPM. Uh, I also think that DJ is not particularly good at handling BPM changes in songs. Uh, I think Serato is pretty much, maybe Tractor does it as well, uh, I don't remember, but I think Serato is pretty much alone in its league to have support for variable BPM during a song where you can adjust uh, BPM changes in your beat grid and then everything stays in sync magically somehow. It's kind of crazy. Uh, DJ is the only app I'm aware of that offers cross-platform metadata sync over iCloud, which is super useful. So you can prepare your set and uh, your cue points and all of that stuff and your beat grids on your iPad or on your phone while you're on the bus or whatever. You get home, you open DJ Pro on your Mac, and everything is there. No problem. Super cool. Uh, Tractor has Dropbox Sync, but the problem is it's phone-to-tablet only. Uh, the Tractor on the desktop does not speak to this Dropbox Sync at all, so it has no idea uh, what's going on in your mobile devices, and that's kind of unfortunate. Um, like I said, there's sort of a slightly confusing product lineup right now. There's DJ Pro, which is the flagship app with all of the good features, uh, separate versions for Mac, iPad, and iPhone. So you'll have to basically buy it three times if you want all platforms. And it's iOS 10 and more only. Um, so that's probably why they've kept DJ2 on the store, which is the old version. Uh, DJ2 does not have a Mac version because it never existed. Uh, it was DJ1, and then they went straight to DJ Pro on the Mac. Uh, iPad and iPhone are separate SKUs once again. Those are iOS 8 and higher instead. Uh, there's watchOS 3 companion app. So DJ2 continues to get updates even though it's the old version, uh, which is kind of strange. Uh, it, oh, it's, a, it's an interesting strategy. And it just recently got an update which supports watchOS 3, which, again, is kind of strange because DJ huh. Pro doesn't support watchOS. So I'm not sure. Uh, maybe it has too many features that they don't want to pack into the watch version, so they put it into DJ2. I don't know. It's slightly cheaper, which is nice if you don't need all the features from DJ Pro, I guess. But, like, who knows when this version is going to get discontinued, which is sort of what I'm thinking. Uh, there's also an Android app, which I have heard mixed things about. Uh, it's probably better to think of DJ as a Mac and iOS app and sort of forget that the Android version exists because the hardware support isn't quite there, uh, as we'll talk about. And I think they're just not maintaining it as much. 
And we can't really forget that people in the music industry are typically very, very lazy to update their devices to the latest OSs because they prioritize reliability over fanciness. And that's probably why DJ2 is in the store. I know people in recording labs who are still using System 7 machines somehow. <laughs> I know some people who are using Snow Leopard. So eh, I guess maybe keeping DJ2 in the store isn't such a bad idea for those people, but they're missing out on a lot of cool stuff in DJ Pro. So in conclusion for DJ, DJ is the go-to solution on iOS. It's basically the market leader in iOS as far as I'm concerned. And it's the only DJ software that will actually feel native on the map. Uh, and it's probably my favorite overall, even though I don't use it. Uh, mostly, except if you do anything above 200 BPM, good luck. Uh, <laughs> which again, it, most DJs are going to be fine because they're not crazy people who listen to super fast music. Uh, but I have crazy friends who make songs at ridiculous BPMs. Uh, so next up is Recordbox. Recordbox is probably the least, well, it's a super well-known app amongst DJs, but not as a DJ app, which is strange, and I'll explain. Recordbox is an app that originally was made to manage metadata and prepare USB drives for Pioneer CDJs. Uh, you would set up your cue points and all of that, and it would copy all of your data onto your USB drive, you'd get to the Pioneer CDJ, you would put it in, and boom, everything would be there. Super great. Uh, but in 2015, Pioneer basically decided, yeah, we sort of want to make our own DJ software, and we have Recordbox that has a library already and all of the cue point stuff, so why don't we just jam DJ software in there? So there are in-app purchases now that let you uh, basically buy what they call performance mode, which is if you want to DJ right in Recordbox, you can do that now. Uh, you can buy a DVS add-on or a BJing add-on uh, as well. And... What that means is if you own Pioneer hardware, you buy that in-app purchase, and suddenly you've got a new DJ app. Um, now, the problem is I know effectively nobody who is using Recordbox to do this. Uh, I have only used it in the free metadata-only mode uh, because I wanted to prepare stuff for CDJs. So I can't really judge the other parts. Uh, one thing that I do want to uh, highlight about Recordbox, though, is that Unlike Serato and Tractor, which can read from your iTunes library, uh, those apps can't read smart playlists, but Recordbox can somehow. I'm not sure how, but it does. So that's really cool. If you have smart playlists to say, show me my latest songs, Recordbox can show you uh, your new this month playlist, and all of the smart playlist stuff will execute correctly, which is amazing. Um, if you just look at videos or screenshots of Recordbox in performance mode, it looks a lot like Serato, and there's sort of a reason for this, and we're going to talk about it in length in a little bit, but Pioneer's gear traditionally has been Serato compatible, and they wanted to support all of that gear. So they basically copied Serato, and only like very recently they have started to change the UI so it doesn't look like a carbon copy of Serato. Uh, funnily enough, though, unlike Serato, the text is retina in Recordbox because it's a newer app. Oh my goodness, awesome. really? Yes. So it's the same look, but Retina, at least. More or less, yeah. Wow. Um, Impressive. So, like I said, I don't know any DJs who want to deviate from ecosystems they've invested in. And this is sort of spoiling the, the surprise of the entire episode. You sort of are boxed into an ecosystem once you've purchased into it, but we'll explain in, in depth. Uh, but reviews of Recordbox DJ seem to be very, very good amongst people who have tried it. Uh, the problem is, like, 
I don't know anybody who isn't a reviewer who's using it, which is worrying. Um, I think the mobile app is the best part of Rekordbox, though. So it doesn't actually let you DJ, uh, which is kind of unfortunate, but it does let you something that I wish I had known it did. Uh, it lets you do basically everything that Rekordbox does in an export mode, which is when you're preparing stuff for USB sticks. But you don't need the USB stick because you can't plug it into your phone or to your iPad. So you can plug a lightning cable into the CDJ, plug your phone into it, and press a button in the Rekordbox app, and it will emulate a USB stick. And you can do everything Rekordbox does on your phone and not have to bring your laptop with you. Uh, I really wish I had known about this because I am traditionally very angry when I go to Japan because I feel like, oh, I have to do all my Rekordbox preparation before I leave for Japan because I don't have a laptop with me. And if only I had known that I could download the record box app and do all my prep on my phone and I wouldn't have had to actually do it all before I leave. Uh, so that was really, really cool. So now for the next year, you'll be more prepared and have this app and just do it in the plane and just browse your time. Possibly, depending what I do with my setup, which we will get into in a little bit. Uh, there's another Ooh. Pioneer app, which is not in the record box family, but it's sort of related in a way. It's called WeDJ. And it's an app that lets you DJ with the entry-level WeGo line of DJ controllers, uh, which I own one of, except mine is too old to be working on the app, of course, <laughs> of course. Uh, but yeah, they have like the super basic uh, app that on the App Store that you can go download. I think it's $6, and you can DJ with those controllers on iOS if you have one. So you're not completely screwed uh, if you're a Pioneer user on iOS. Um, you're just very limited in what hardware you can use. So. The big conclusion on Rekordbox is most people use it as a met metadata tagging app for playing on CDJs. Um, but Pioneer is trying really, really hard to get people to switch to it from Serato, and we will get into how in a little bit. I want to mention two other apps real quick. One uh, multi-platform and one iOS. So the first is Virtual DJ. Um, if you've looked at DJ hardware at all, especially entry-level stuff, um, you will commonly see that it comes with a license for Virtual DJ, and you probably noticed that I didn't mention it. Uh, the reason I didn't mention it is not because it's a bad piece of software per se, but it feels very cheaply made. And in my experience, it wasn't that reliable, but it can still get the job done. Like all the basics are there and the basics work for the most part. Uh, so you can do it, except maybe if your controller doesn't have, uh, if your controller has some more advanced features, they won't be supported in Virtual DJ. They'll only be supported in other software the other so it's really it's really meant as an introduction app and maybe to like uh, start to learn and uh, start to build your skills and you will like quickly grow out of it but at least you have something free included with uh the hardware you bought yeah i don't really know anyone who uses virtual dj professionally i just know people who used it to learn on which is what is great oh also virtual dj one thing it does that the others don't do which is really cool is it has built-in uh, IceCast streaming. So if you actually have an internet radio station you want to stream to, uh, you can do that really easily. So that's cool. That's not in the other apps. But otherwise, like, there's no real reason to use Virtual DJ if you have the money to go out and buy a license of a more professional app. The next app is DJ Player for iOS. And I mentioned this for two reasons. The first is it is the richest uh, media mapping compatible app on the App Store. So all of the other iOS apps, we're going to talk about this in a little bit, um, you can't MIDI map arbitrary controllers to those apps. 
DJ Player does let you do that. So if you have a camera connection kit, you can plug an existing MIDI controller into there and you can map basically any control uh, to any feature of DJ Player, which is really cool. The other cool thing is if you have an external sound card that can do DVS, you can scratch vinyl on an iPad uh, with DJ Player. And it's the only app that does DVS uh, right now on iOS, which is really cool. Okay, so remember when I said that the biggest differences between DJ apps were philosophy? Well, I sort of lied. Oh, Yannick. So hardware compatibility is the big one. Uh, and this complicates everything, really. Uh, you can find a controller that you absolutely love, but it doesn't play nice with the software you like, and you're screwed. Uh, so that's cool. Let's talk about each, each app again and talk about the story behind their hardware compatibility. And this time I'm going to start with Recordbox, which is really just an excuse to go on a tangent about Pioneer's dominance of the industry. So Pioneer effectively has a monopoly on what's found inside of club booths all over the world. Uh, basically, what's standard inside clubs is two CDJs, usually a 900 Nexus or a 2000 Nexus, and a DJM800 mixer. That's basically what you're going to find in any club worth the damn on the earth. Um, and even if you're not using the CDJs directly, and you're using your own controller uh, that's not a Pioneer controller, you're probably, yeah, you're probably plugging in that controller into a Pioneer mixer anyway. So you're using Pioneer whether you want it or not. And uh, you might wonder, like, why would I use a CDJ? CDJs can be even more limiting than the most basic of PCDJ controllers. And one example, uh, CDJ 900 Nexus doesn't have hotkeys, which uh, basically are buttons that you press on them and you can jump immediately to a specific cue point uh, somewhere in the song. My entry-level Pioneer Wego controller has four hotkey buttons. And like the $700, no, even more than that, like $1,400 CDJ doesn't have those four buttons on it. So it's immediately less useful than my Wego controllers. So you might say, well, why would I play on CDJs? And the big advantage to playing on CDJ today is you only have to walk in with a USB stick and your headphones and everything else you pretty much know it's going to be standard. If you know you're going to play on CDJs, it's very important to familiarize yourself with what's common to all of the popular equipment, uh, popular CDJs and mixers, so you don't become too reliant on features that aren't going to be there on certain models. Uh, Hotcues is a very good example of those. And since there are only really two or three models in wide circulation out there, it shouldn't be hard, but you need to be ready for it. So since there are only like two or three CDJs and mixers that are really used in clubs, it shouldn't really be that hard to identify what's common to all of them so you're ready for it. Now the disadvantage is that it's a shared setup. So when you arrive to the CDJ or to the mixer, the defaults, in quotes, uh, might be completely different than what you're expecting. Uh, a good example of this, crossfader curve. Uh, crossfaders on mixers can be customized to either only switch over on the extremes or have a gradual curve or have a steeper curve. Uh, the master tempo setting can be either on or off and you don't necessarily re realize that. Mixer channels can be on left or right or through. And uh, one time I DJed and everything was on through and I was like, what the fuck? This isn't supposed to be playing and it's playing and I didn't realize. Uh, so you've got to take consideration of all of these things. And when you have your own equipment, you don't have to. So Recordbox in particular, with regards to hardware, is super interesting because it's made by Pioneer, but you can use it with basically any external sound card out of the box with internal mixing. But controller support is restricted to Pioneer controllers, CDJs, and mixers. Um, so 
Pioneer has sort of wanted to push Rekordbox really, really hard. So they started making Rekordbox exclusive controllers now. And they're sort of on the premium end of the lineup, but there are some uh, lower end ones as well. Uh, and again, like I said, like, I don't think adoption has been particularly good uh, because like, nobody wants to ditch their current ecosystems to go with Rekordbox. Um, but the integration that they have between their controllers and CDJs and their software is tighter than any of the competitors because they're the only company that actually makes both parts. Well, sort of. Um, one really great thing, though, uh, and that might convince new DJs to actually pick up Rekordbox over another is Rekordbox on its own is $129. If you buy a Rekordbox exclusive controller, you get a free license of Rekordbox built into it. So your controller basically comes out to $120 if you buy the low-end uh, Rekordbox controller, which is a really good deal uh, for that software. Um, so in that respect, if you're shopping for a controller, you might be tempted to go towards the DDJ-R line of controllers, which is Rekordbox, instead of the DDJ-S, which is for Serato, and only comes with a trial version of Serato. Next up is Tractor. So first of all, Tractor works without any hardware at all. Uh, and that's part of the reason why the UI looks like shit when you install it, is because they assume you're going to be able to use it with keyboard and mouse. Uh, which explains a lot of things. There's a lot of things that are displayed on screen that you don't need to see because if you have a knob for EQ, low, mid, high, you don't need to have that on your screen because you can look at the knob. But if you're using keyboard and mouse, you need to see those values, right? So that sort of explains the default UI mess that you have in Tractor. You can do everything with keyboard shortcuts uh, or the mouse if you really want to be slow and inefficient. Uh, but of course, it's... But uh, but those uh, controls stay on the screen even if you have a controller plugged in. It, it's up to you. You have to find the settings to disable them, but if you find them, you can disable them for the most part. Oh, but it's a, ma a complete manual process. Yeah. Ugh. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and let me guess, there's no, like, like, kind of presets where you can just, like... On the kind of a, on the preset selection, just switch from like keyboard and mouse to controller if you need to. You just need to go back to the settings and then alternate all of the settings you need to hide and show this button and hide this other button and show again that other button and no, everything. Luckily, there are presets. Uh, okay, oof. But they're not as good as they could be out of the box. I think. Hmm. Okay. So what's cool about Tractor is the company that makes Tractor Native Instruments also makes DJ controllers that are plug-and-play compatible with Tractor Pro, which is really good. Um, and uh, some, of those some of those controllers are also compatible with Tractor DJ on the iPad and iPhone. Not all of them, which is unfortunate, but some of them do. Uh, you're also able to bind any standard MIDI controller in the settings, uh, but because of the complexity of how the settings are laid out, it can be super confusing to actually do it correctly. And there's another big issue with Tractor, which is that if you use uh, something with, with a platter that mimics a turntable and you bind it with MIDI, there's latency, which is not there if you use the uh, Native Instruments controllers, which means if you're going to do anything scratch heavy, you're wasting your time to do it on Tractor because there's going to be latency and it's going to suck. Uh, so for that reason, I basically say if you're going to use Tractor, buy the Tractor controllers besides their pretty much the best controllers you can buy for Tractor anyway. So you might as well go with it. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later. So Serato is kind of the complete opposite. Unlike Tractor and DJ, Serato requires you to have hardware to actually work. Um, 
and that doesn't mean like it's not a DRM dongle or anything, um, but you just won't be able to enter what I call online mode to actually do the mixing unless you have hardware connected. Uh, so in offline mode, you can basically only do music library management. You can pre-analyze your music library, set metadata, cue points. It's a fancy version of iTunes with waveforms, beat grids, and cue points, basically. Uh, it's not a super useful app if you want to be an actual DJ. When you plug in the hardware, then the app completely transforms. It's about performing and mixing, and the metadata management features, some of them become completely inaccessible, which is kind of weird if you're not used to it because you wonder where the buttons went. Um, but your screen basically gets taken over by the two or four decks that your controller supports. And what's interesting is Serato partners with tons of different hardware manufacturers on controllers that have plug-and-play support for their software. Um, luckily, Serato-compatible hardware does not need to be exclusively compatible with Serato. So that's good. Drivers for all supported hardware are baked right into Serato.app, so you have nothing to install. Asterisk. Uh, there is an asterisk. If you are plugging to professional DJ mixers, such as those that are made by Rain or Pioneer, uh, those have special system preferences bundles that are not required, but are very useful to install. Uh, because you can, anything that involves multiple channel audio interfaces on the Mac is sort of a giant mess. Uh, so you want those settings just to be sure, uh, but they're not required, I guess. Um, so the deal with Serato is they certify that if a button says something on the hardware, one, that feature is present in Serato because it would be stupid to have a button on a Serato controller that does something for a feature that doesn't exist in Serato. That would be really stupid. So they certify that everything does the, what the button says it is. Um, and the mappings are all pre-baked. So you, you can't remap buttons in Serato. And some people complain about that because they say, I don't need this feature. I would rather remap to another button. Uh, in the UI so I could do something more useful. No, them, it's what's written on the controller is what the button does, deal with it. Uh, there is one exception, and that's accessory controllers. So I'm going to call the hardware that enables Serato's performance mode as the main hardware. And the reason I say hardware and not controller is because you can be using an external sound card that is Serato enabled. You can be using CDJs, which are technically not controllers. You can be using a wide variety of things that are not necessarily controllers with Serato to enable it to be a performance app. Uh, accessory controllers don't have that feature. They're just external controllers that you can pretty much bind to any feature in Serato. But it, it's weird that those controllers can be bound to anything, but not the main controller. It's very strange. Um, and a very popular use of this is when you're using DVS, uh, you're using real turntables. So you don't have necessarily a controller on hand uh, to do cue points, which of course cue points don't really exist when you're dealing with timecode vinyl. So it's a software feature. So you need to have a controller to have your hot cue buttons. So they basically enabled accessory controllers just so people on vinyl can have hot cues. Uh, and they didn't want to always reach over to their computer, use the trackpad and click the hot cue on the UI manually. They said, fuck that, we're going to give you accessory controllers so you can bind a couple buttons to some hotcues. And that's sort of the main use for it. Uh, but I guess if you want to do some crazy stuff with Serato, you can technically do it with that support for external uh, accessory controllers. 
So if you're using Serato-enabled main hardware, there are two different license buckets you can fall into. There's Serato DJ Upgrade Ready, which means it comes with a trial version and you'll need to buy a license of it for the full Serato DJ to be usable, but it's supported in the full Serato DJ. There's also Serato DJ Enabled, which means it comes with a full license of Serato DJ in the box. And these are generally not going to be the entry-level uh, controllers. These are going to be really the high-end or flagship Serato controller of the season, really, that are going to have them, or DVS-related products, because if you're buying a DVS-related product, DJ Intro basically does not support DVS, so it's useless. Uh, so you're going to need a Serato DJ license anyway. Now let's talk about DJ, which is sort of a hybrid approach to both companies. So like Serato, Algorithm co collaborates with hardware makers to ensure that there are DJ-compatible devices on the market. Um, generally, you can tell which of those are DJ-compatible devices because Algorithm pushes pretty hard for them to put iPad-sized grooves into the controllers, so you can just put your iPad there. And I think they might regret it a little bit now that the iPad Pro is a thing, because now basically none of those grooves can hold the iPad Pro, more or less. Uh, I guess maybe in Portrait, but that's suboptimal. Um, but yeah, so they tend to push heavily for iPad-sized grooves, so you can basically just put it in and know that your iPad is stable. Uh, they tend to have custom integrations using RGB lighting. Uh, so there are various modes in the app and you want to be able to know what mode you're in. So it reflects that in lighting. Um, the catch is that iOS versions are only compatible with the specific algorithm collaboration controllers. On the Mac, you have way more possibilities. So you can do what they call natively supported media controllers, which is we went out and bought all of the most popular DJ controllers and created mappings for DJ so that when you plug them in, automatically it detects which hardware you have and everything is mapped like if it was a Serato device, basically. Uh, you can do a feature called Media Learn, which is anything that's media mappable, you can just plug it into your computer. It might not necessarily recognize it, but you go to Media Learn, you click on the feature in the UI you want to map, you press the button or you turn the dial or whatever on your controller and automatically it's mapped. No more trouble than that. Uh, way simpler than um, Tractor. What you can also do is plug it to a CDJ2000 Nexus and this is where it gets kind of crazy. DJ is doing some crazy shit with the CDJ2000 Nexus because while all of the major apps are capable of being controlled by a CDJ2000 Nexus, DJ lets you browse the entire Spotify catalog on the CDJ, which is kind of crazy. So that's cool. So what is my advice for buying controllers, right? Well, okay. If you use Tractor, get a native instruments controller. They are very good. The ones with jog wheels or uh, platters or whatever you want to call it, the turntable equivalent, they don't have latency issues like third-party controllers. Uh, so that's good. If you're a fan of slimline controllers, which have basically no jog wheels, but are just like a mixer, a slim mixer interface, uh, Native Instruments makes the best slimline controllers and they only work on Tractor. So you're, you're in luck. However, if you want to switch to another piece of hardware later, you're screwed because Native Instruments controllers only work with Tractor. And not all Native Instruments uh, controllers are compatible with Tractor DJ on iOS. The only ones that are supported on iOS are the Control Z1, the S2 Mark II, and the S4 Mark II. 
uh, which is only three of like nine controllers, which is kind of unfortunate, but I guess it sort of reflects the state of how relevant Tractor DJ is to Tractor as a company and how they're not really updating it anymore. If you use Record Box, you're boxed into the Pioneer ecosystem. This sort of makes sense because it's the Pioneer app. Um, and it's not really a bad thing because Pioneer makes some of the best gear in the business, right? Um, the problem is, like, Pioneer doesn't really make slimline controllers. And if you're a fan of slimline controllers, you're never going to be able to use those in Record Box. Um, and luckily, though, if you choose to switch down the line, if you didn't buy an R series controller and you bought an S series, that gear is also compatible with Serato, so you can switch. Um, and pretty much everything is media mappable as well, so you can use it in DJ, so that's pretty good. If you use Serato, you can buy hardware from whoever you want, basically, uh, but it must be a model that explicitly supports Serato, or the app is stuck in metadata mode, like I said. But if you buy a Serato controller, again, no exclusivity in place, so you can use it with anything else that is not... Uh, you can use it with anything else except, like, record box because it'll only be pioneer uh if you use dj on the map any uh, on the mac anything media mappable other than native instrument controller will work so it's like the most why you have the most options with dj on the mac basically uh the most popular controllers finding it out of the box otherwise mind it manually it's probably the most versatile if you use dj on mobile you have to consult the hardware page on dj's website to find hardware that's explicitly compatible now we get to my situation, which is what if you use DJ on mobile and Serato on the desktop or something else on the desktop? Then you have sort of this Venn diagram with a very tiny intersection and you're <laughs> sort of fucked. And I'll just go through all of the possible combinations just to explain how fucked you are. DJ plus tractor limits you to third party controllers. So this means basically you can choose anything except you don't want to choose anything because if it has a jog wheel, it's not going to work well in tractor. So basically, like, unless you use a slimline thing, it's not going to work. And there is one slimline controller that works well in DJ and tractor right now. So you've got that. DJ plus Serato, you have four controllers that are cross-compatible. One by Reloop, one by Newmark, and two by Pioneer. If you want DJ plus Record Box on the desktop, you have two controllers that are cross-compatible. Two are Pioneer. Uh... And even if you use DJ on the desktop, you still have to think about the Venn diagram because what's compatible with DJ on the desktop and DJ on mobile is not the same. So you have to basically choose something that works on mobile and then you're guaranteed it works on desktop, but not the other way around. So you sort of see that this is sort of a disaster. Uh, it's not quite a USB-C disaster, but it's pretty close. Uh, and since DJ is the leader of what's possible with, mo uh, with mobile DJing right now, this isn't even a theoretical scenario. Like, many, many DJs are thinking about this because they want to buy equipment that's common to both their environments, but you can't because either the product that you wish existed doesn't exist in that sort of Venn diagram intersection, or it's just not compatible. Um, so that sucks. So, uh, so you're stuck to buying uh, two controllers, two or more controllers, or just, like, using different apps on different platforms at that point sort of yeah it's kind of oh, that sucks yeah it sucks so we're going to go through my current setup now uh so at home i use serato on my macbook pro with the pioneer we go controller the first generation one so it's basically not supported on dj anymore it used to be in the past but now it's not anymore which is strange uh i've played on this exact setup in japan once and it went pretty fine uh the problem is 
I don't like having to carry the controller around. Uh, so what I ended up doing is I borrowed one from another DJ at the event that I knew had the same controller as me. Um, the main issue I have with this controller is that when you enable an effect, you have to press a button. And first of all, the light that indicates if the effect is on or off is very hard to distinguish the two states on. So you don't really know if it's on or off just by looking at it, which is sort of a failure of design, uh, which sucks. And the second thing is there is no knob for the effects. It uses the platter. So if you want to use the platter to move where you are in the song, you can't if you have an effect enabled. And since you can't tell if the light is enabled or not, you basically never know if you can reliably use the jog wheel for the correct thing, which is sort of sucky. Um, so I would absolutely love to upgrade to a fancier Pioneer Serato controller that's closer to mimicking CDJ setup. Problem is, none of those are compatible with DJ on mobile, <laughs> which sort of Ooh. sucks. Uh, the other thing is, since I bought sort of an entry-level controller, um, the lower-end, cheaper controllers that I would feel comfortable buying uh, and upgrading to for Serato offer too little of an upgrade. Like, basically, it would just be, you have a, uh, an effects knob now, congratulations, and that would be basically the upgrade, and I would still be spending $250 for it. And the higher-end ones that offer way more features are so much more expensive that I can't really justify the price if I'm only going to be using it at home, which it, you don't have much of a choice because the higher-end models are normally going to be bigger and heavier and all that stuff. On mobile, I use both DJ Pro and, and Tractor DJ, but for different things. So DJ Pro is really the workhorse you can do real DJing on. Tractor DJ, DJ has a really good uh, workflow for exploring mashup possibilities. Uh, just because it has the built-in recommendations of songs that would mix very well with other other songs. If they're close BPM, you can basically do the whole mashup in Tractor DJ, press the record button, and export it right there, and you've got a mashup. Uh, so if you're into making mashups, Tractor DJ, great app, except its future is sort of ambiguous. Um, I don't have a controller for my iPad. Uh, one time I did play, however, a gig on the iPad using... A headphone jack to RCA cable, uh, which meant that I couldn't actually cue audio to my headphones, which meant that I sort of had to prepare the entire mix ahead of time, which is not always fun. Um, so I would like a slimline controller that I can take with me to Japan whenever I need to use my iPad to DJ. Uh, one of those is the Reloop Mixtor. But again, the Reloop Mixtor only works on DJ. It doesn't work in Serato, so I wouldn't be able to use it at home, which means I would have to buy two controllers. Uh, there's another really cool Casio controller that I want to mention called the XWDJ1 Trackformer, which, as far as I know, is mappable and also compatible in uh, DJ, also on mobile. Um, but that controller was explicitly made to play from a phone. It even has an iPhone 5S-sized phone holder that comes with it. Um, and it basically gives you all of the basic hardware controls you need. It has a built-in audio card. It has built-in speakers, which is amazing because you can battery power it if you want to just like go outside and DJ for fun, I guess. Uh, and a large seven inch platter that you can use to do pretty good scratch technique on it if you're a scratch DJ. And I saw that in Japan and I was like amazed because the design is crazy. If you've seen any other DJ controller, this one is completely different and you're like, what the fuck is this? And it looks really cool. Um, they're currently being cleared out of inventories and they've been going for like a hundred dollars on Amazon. So I've been saying maybe I should buy one of those since it's not a huge investment and 
it, it doesn't really matter if it's only a hundred dollars that it doesn't work on Serato or whatever. I mean, that's like half of what I spent on my original controller anyway. Um, so I don't know. I'm thinking about it. Uh, but for the past few years, what I've been doing when I go to clubs is I just play on the CDJ with a record box and it works super, super well. And now that I know about the record box app, I've been rethinking my ideas of buying a controller for the iPad and just saying, well, maybe I should just use the record box app. Um, my only concern is what if I actually decide, okay, I'm going to rely on the record box app. And then I get to Japan and like the firmware on the CDJ isn't up to date and the app doesn't work and I can't play. That would really suck. Uh, so I don't know. It's, it's sort of a trade-off. Uh, I don't know. I'm thinking a lot about it these days. I thought that preparing this episode might actually just help me think out what I would <laughs> want to do. I'm sort of still in a weird scenario right now. Uh, like technically, uh, if I bought a record box exclusive entry level uh, Pioneer controller, I could also use it for DJ Pro on the Mac. And it's a really nice controller and it would come with a free license of uh, record box. And I'm also thinking, well, maybe I should go all in on record box since I like to play on CDJs. And I, I don't know. I'm sort of just turning around in circles in my mind and I haven't come to any conclusion. Uh, if you are listening to the show and you have any input to give me on my hardware conundrum, please feel free to tweet at me or whatever. Uh, but yeah, so it's sort of a complete mess. And the thing I want doesn't exist, basically, which is... Too bad. Oh, uh, well, wait, I, I think it exists. You just might not like my solution. What is it? Buy all the controllers. Well, yeah, I could do that, but that would be really expensive. I could also just buy CDJs and play on CDJs, except they're like $1,400 a pop. Ooh, okay, yeah. That, that I was kind of just joking because I knew that that solution would be uh, way too expensive. But it seems to me that your, I would say, favorite or the, maybe the most common is the CDJs. And that could be a good investment to do if you find a way to get a cheaper one or just like a, a good deal on one. Well, they're like mid-range CDJs. They're called the XDJ series. Uh, Pioneer does them. And I think they're like $750 each, which is still not really <laughs> cheap, uh, which is unfortunate. They also do this thing. Uh, I think it's called the... I don't even remember what it's called, but they, they also sell all-in-one units that are basically like two cdjs and a mixer built into one huge unit uh that you can buy for fifteen hundred dollars which means it's basically unless you find a mixer that is comparable to a good pioneer mixer for a hundred dollars which you won't uh you can just buy that and basically have two mid-range cdjs and a mixer uh for fifteen hundred dollars which is nice except it's still fifteen hundred dollars oh yeah yeah super expensive yep so that's more or less where i am and that's pretty much it Wow, okay, so hopefully we'll have uh, some uh, follow-up like we always love to do in a uh, future episode about what will be the next buying decision. And uh, let's be honest here, I've learned a lot of stuff. I know, Yannick, you, like, we it's something we don't talk that much uh, offline together because we, you do mention it to me personally uh, when you talk about your Japan trip, but it's interesting to see that it's kind of a big clusterfuck and <laughs> I start to understand why you're a bit lost on what to do next. Yeah. But yeah, I, th I think my still my solution still applies. Just buy all of them, and then no problem. Maybe if I have a job in two weeks, I'll be able oh. to. <laughs> Ooh, okay. Teasing the next uh, episode there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, 
if you like to take a look at our show notes because with all of those controllers and applications that Unique mentioned during this DJ episode, you'll have to go on a website which is at limitlesspossibility.net and for the show notes of this episode, you go to limitlesspossibility.net slash 61. Um, if you want to follow the episode on Twitter to get most up-to-date news about the, the show, movie, not the episode. Yes, the show. Thank you. You can go on Twitter at, at limipo, limipo underscore podcast. That's L-I-M-I-P-O underscore podcast. You can find myself on Twitter at, at Lucanush. That's L-U-C-C-O-N-O-U-C-H-E. And you can find Yannick at... Sakurina, S-A-K-U-R-I-N-A. And see you in two weeks. See you in two weeks.